0: Amiga, the first personal computer that gives you a
1: creative edge.
2: Amigos, the podcast about everything Amiga. Amigos is a proud member of the Throwback Network, your home for quality retro podcasts. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron Dowdy and John bodekar Schaller. Hi, and welcome to Amigos. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And today we're going to talk about TV sports basketball. But before we do, uh, Aaron, we've got a a new bit of feedback. Uh, This came from uh, our blog. Uh, If you want to leave a comment on our blog, it's amigospodcast.com. Paul Kitching, uh, who is one of our UK listeners, he wrote in, uh, to talk about 21st century entertainment. Okay, excellent. So uh, he said that they were previously a company called Houston Consultants who did these games, and you tell me if you've heard of any of these. Okay, uh, I, I
1: have heard of Houston Cons- I have heard of them, I think. Okay, Paradroid. I've heard of that. Uh, Uridium. Yes, Uridium is a, a shooter, uh, an excellent shooter, what okay. I recall. Yeah. Uh, Cybernoid. I don't remember that one. Okay, and he said that uh, there is
2: a uh, Andrew Houston, who I guess is the Houston behind the name, uh, is uh, releasing a book about it all soon. So we'll keep an eye out on that.
1: You know that explains a lot because in the in the uh, interview I read with the guy from Twenty First Century Entertainment, he acted like they'd been around, mm-hmm. and I was, that's why I was like baffled because you look at what they were and they hadn't done anything you know prior to the game he was talking about and that's why i was like what's going on here well that explains it yeah like, you know iridium as i recall was a pretty popular game oh cool
2: um and he also said surprising you haven't heard of the c16 <laughs> he said it <laughs> wasn't it wasn't very popular here in the uk but everyone had heard of it uh i guess maybe infamously uh, and he he uh so strangely it came out after the c64 uh and um And he remembered what they, he he said that uh, he remembers uh, thinking, you know, what were they thinking? And he said, I was about 13 and I could easily see what a bad idea it was to bring out a worse machine than what everybody already had.
1: It's not good when you're 13 and you're outsmarting the bigwigs. Right. I could see where, you know, he was angling for a niche market, Mm -hmm. you know. But uh, I don't think they realized how quickly the C64 price would fall, maybe. No. Because the price fell so quick, you know. And And I
2: think maybe they thought that more people were using C64s for business-type applications, word processing, and stuff like that. Nope. Nope.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Incorrect, sir.
2: Yeah, so uh, thanks, Paul, for that feedback. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Would you like to comment on this week's episode? Did John and Aaron finally make their first mistake? Leave us a comment at our blog at amigospodcast.com. All right, our game this week is TV Sports Basketball. Uh, TV Sports Basketball was released in 1990. It was developed by Cinemaware and published by MirrorSoft for the Amiga, DOS, Commodore, and TurboGrafx 16. Uh, it's part of the TV Sports series that included TV Sports Baseball as well as other games based on. Hockey, American football, and boxing. Um, a little bit about Cinemaware. They were founded in 1985 by Bob and Phyllis Jacob. Um, Cinemaware's first title. Here's a little trivia for you, Aaron. Do you do you know their first title? I believe it was Defender of the Crown. You got it, Defender of the Crown. Um, and so, but they eventually expanded into sports games with its TV sports line. Uh, all of those, uh, all of those games. Featured elements of sports telecasts such as studio announcers. Um, the TV Sports line covered basketball, ice hockey, and football. Um, some of the titles were only known by TV Sports by the TV Sports name in Europe. Uh, TV Sports Boxing and TV Sports Baseball, which were released in the United States by Data East as ABC Worldwide of Sports Boxing and Bo Jackson Baseball, respectively. So that,
1: that's crazy because I I never remember either of those i always had the european version really i, I don't, I, I don't.
2: It, it makes sense though they if they could capitalize on you know a name like abc worldwide of sports that's a, a lot better than you know tv sports boxing that's a
1: that's a heck of a license too yeah. to to sign up i'm yeah. very impressed and, and of course Bo jackson was a if you'll recall Huge. was a big star back Huge. in those days and a heck of a ball player baseball player and football but yeah. really a good baseball player
2: um cinemaware uh went bankrupt in 1991
1: sad yeah um,
2: (laughs) so um, they uh, it says uh, coupled with falling sales of their other titles in the midst of an economic downturn uh, the company suffered uh, they suffered also from software piracy along with many other Amiga developers (laughs) Uh, they threatened to stop publishing Amiga games at several points because of the ease by which the uh, the games could be copied Um, many of the games including one of your favorites wings were cracked and spread amongst gamers even before their release uh,
1: yeah i uh you know i love Cinemaware too so i can't help but but feel personally responsible for their demise because i was one of the many young jerks that of course to be fair after i got into the amiga pretty much after they were gone but uh yeah it's that's sad uh i did read an interview i read an interview with a fellow from Cinemaware. he said he didn't think piracy is what downed them i think uh part of the problem was and i hate to say this on the amiga podcast but they uh they put all their eggs in the amiga basket so to speak in a lot of ways and when and as amiga fell off in the states so did their business so and you know that's straight from the horse's mouth yeah
2: well i you know i'm sure it's it's never just one factor and um it's a shame because you know like you said you've got to admire a company like CinemaWare who wants to put their titles on the most advanced platform for the time. Sure. They just happened to choose the one that was also the the failed
1: platform. Well, unfortunately, the they, as we all know, management. Yeah. They had the great platform, but the horrible management.
2: Right, right. Um, so, uh, do you have anything else about Cinnamonware that's worth <clears throat> noting? Well, they are
1: sort of still around. You know, they came back, uh, if you'll recall... Uh, I think the, uh, r- the other rights and the games were purchased, I want to say in 95-ish, maybe a little later, and they had a, I guess, a sequel or a reboot of Defender of the Crown. It was out on the, uh, I'm pretty sure it was out on the PC, and I think it was out on the consoles, too. Uh, I think it was called Robin Hood, Defender of the Crown, something like that. You, that ring a bell to you? No, I have yeah. no recollection of yeah, that. Yeah, it I was out. I don't remember liking it that much. Um, they said they had more titles in the works, and uh, I don't think they ever shipped anything else. Um, I, I'm hoping that uh, since the Wings remastered has done, I think, pretty well, that uh, they will that they will you know try to remaster other you know, CinemaWare classics. I mean, CinemaWare they're one of my all time favorite uh, companies. And when you open one of their boxes, they had all kinds of cool stuff in there they called their discs reels always thought that was cool insert reel two insert real one they had some of my favorite games on the amiga uh, and they uh, they deserved a better fate you know it's it's a shame they really didn't get to make anything for the consoles, so to speak i mean there was a few things i think wings got uh, console ports and uh defender of the crown got Defender defended the got crown ports but uh, you know a lot of their best titles never got no one ever saw them mm-hmm. because they were only on the Amiga. i didn't know there was a c64 version of uh TV sports basketball until I, you know, started researching this. So I've, I've never seen it. So that might be interesting to see.
2: Yeah. Um. So TV sports basketball. Let's talk about what makes this game uh, unique, or you know, what are the features of the game? Um, players can either play against the computer or with another person. So, uh, and when they play against another person, you can go in versus mode, or you can play cooperatively on the same team. Uh, That was a feature not found in a lot of basketball games at this time.
1: The the feature that blew my mind, and I swear to you, I'd never... Of course, I didn't have the manual. uh, This game supported four players. Absolutely. With the uh, parallel port choice. I had no idea. And I'll be exploring that option in the future because that would be outstanding. Yeah. Uh, I like the fact they had a role-playing mode where you could just pick one player on the team and play that without having to switch around. Mm -hmm. Uh, It had... uh, it was so far ahead of everything I'd ever seen basketball was. I don't know about you. Are you a basketball fan? Uh, I'm
2: not a basketball fan, but I have played quite a few basketball games. Yeah.
1: I uh, <laughs> When I started my job in Lexington, Kentucky, for those of you that know anything about Lexington, Kentucky, USA, it's the home of the uh, UK Wildcats, which is the biggest college basketball team in the country. When I started my job there, they said, as a guy came to escort me to my workplace, he said, well you're in kentucky now you know do you like horse racing i was like no he said do you like bourbon i was like no he goes do you like basketball i was like no he goes you're in a lot of trouble boy (laughs) i was like oh boy and the only basketball knowledge i had obtained was from playing tv sports basketball (laughs) before i moved down there but now you like bourbon i do like bourbon
2: you like do you like horse racing? And uh, <laughs>
1: well, I, maybe I do watch it now because you have no choice when you live there. And then, but I still don't like basketball. But I do like playing TV sports basketball. Uh, this title was introduced to me well before I had an Amiga. My friend Rich uh, had an Amiga. He picked this up, and him and another friend, Hose, decided to start a league. And they went through one of the great features about TV sports basketball is you can edit the rosters and the teams. And so they went through and they edited all the teams. They put all the current NBA stars in the game, and then they they uh, ranked them. You know, there's a, there's a system to set up. You know, their abilities, uh, and it was it was really neat. There's only one team in the league you can't edit, which is the Cinemaware team, ironically, and uh, their team is is awesome. But uh, we used to have a lot of fun with that, and still on my original discs at the house, they're all they're all still have a, i got a copy of my buddy so it's got all the same you know edited teams and my buddy of course he had an alternative ego called ricky quest so he put himself in the game with top scores he plays for the lakers and he he every time he comes onto the screen he just jumps a three-pointer from half court it's irritating <laughs> as hell <laughs> but yeah we spent a lot of time playing this back in the day
2: you know it, that the, the perspective on the game is pretty unique. I mean, the half court perspective isn't necessarily unique. There are other games that did it. Jordan versus Bird uh, is the one that immediately comes to mind. Yeah. But the way that they have that cutscene that you know shows the players running from one side of the court to the other, I thought was interesting. And I wondered if they did that for you know cinematic purposes, or I wonder if that was kind of a trick to get around some loading.
1: I don't think it was a loading issue. I will say, you know, I, I've pondered this quite a bit. I love their perspective. That's what made the game. They really—you—that's one of the few games. It, still to this day, I can't play a game. You know, with the, the abilities I had in TV sports, because of the—the the perspective gives you a good view of all your the people you can pass to the shots you can take. The half-court perspective, where they just run across the screen. Excuse me. Is uh, I nothing really happening happens at that part of the court, no. unless there's a full-court press on or something like that. Uh, uh, or someone takes a crazy shot. So you could sort of get away with eliminating it, and, and, and it actually works. Uh, it probably made the game easier to program. I guess, they, you know, if they didn't have that, what would they have? I mean, even if they gave you the ability to control your guys there, it really probably wouldn't make too much of a difference. So I think they probably made the right choice.
2: Yeah, and um, one thing that's cool, too, is that you actually get the option when you uh, – when you when you play you can either control the same player throughout the entire course of the match or the one currently in possession of the ball yeah
1: the which i like the, it's that's the role-playing feature where you can just have one guy uh, i never did that because i'm a control freak <laughs> but it is fun to do it it's you know, if you could get four people playing this at once and control a team, now that would be something sweet. It's still neat. I mean, you could go through a whole season playing one guy, if yeah. You two, which would be cool if you wanted to really pad your stats or whatever. I find the computer of uh, adequate uh, difficulty. The the uh, it's not a it's not a pushover, Mm-mm. and I've played it for the game for years and years, and I lose all the time, yeah. Uh, and especially some of the better teams, they they can steamroll you especially if you make bad shots and that's the good thing about it they it rewards it rewards your vision of of watching your players now there's an option on there on the screen uh there's a uh, uh, there, uh the the uh, players let a number will flash over his head and and it'll be green or you know it'll flash different colors and that's how you know how open he is when you pass we always turn that off uh which is cool that the option's there to do it um because i don't know i don't know why we did it i just that it's every time we ever played it that's how they started doing it so i've done it ever since but it's nice to have the option here to see you know who you're going to be throwing to if and what and, and how open they are i think it's not cheap you know it's not a cheap game with it's not like nba jam for example where you can jump to a lead and the computer's always going to catch up yeah you know? there's
2: not a lot of rubber banding
1: are. Something else I really dug about it was the uh, ability to take the TV timeouts. It was very realistic. I mean, I thought in terms of what of an actual basketball game, the ability to substitute players and the ability to substitute players out of position, which we used to do all the time. We'd have both centers in. And <laughs> <four> <laughs> Two <forwards>. huge guys <laughs> lumbering around. You know? um, something else about this game that I, I always think about is it took advantage of extended memory. Uh in a weird way, and a weird way, is you would hear uh, occasional noises or or samples that you would not normally hear if you didn't have the extended memory. Like if you hit an alley oop, if you have the extended memory, you'll hear alley oop. You know, you'll hear uh, uh, a couple other phrases that will come in. I like the fact the sound on this is awesome. It's got that the, the the sound of the sneakers on the on the floor. You know, is is cool. I always thought. Uh, the uh, uh, the ability to edit the rosters can't be understated. That That's a big deal. And I can't think of a game before that short of one of the micro-league sports simulators that would let you do that. Can you? No. No. Uh, you know, not only that, but you could actually, if you had
2: 28 friends or, you know, multiple people play in each team, you could actually set up a full season draft where each person is in control of, you know, one or a couple teams and uh, you know, play all the games.
1: That would be that would be really cool. Yeah. I mean, if you'd had enough people to do it. Yeah.
2: Now you know, the the one downside <laughs> I read is that it, when you do the full season mode, unfortunately you cannot shorten the, the time of the periods. So you actually have to play four Twelve minute periods in real time, <laughs> and that's that's a long game. Yeah, you know?
1: I always go to five minute quarters, mm-hmm. you know, due to time constraints of my life. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that would be a long game. That's the way that's the way Hoes and, and Rich were doing it. They were playing full games, and they had pretty realistic scores as well. You know, mm-hmm. and there were certain teams in the league that were pushovers. I mean, they did a real good job. Something we haven't touched on, by the way, is the opening. I just love it the music is awesome the fanfare da, 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 da. i hear i can hear it in my head <laughs> the uh, the way the the camera pans across the court you can see the guys out there practicing they see the cheerleaders out there jumping around and then they cut to the announcer and he's up there at the desk and he i just thought that was a, so awesome oh yeah i mean that's the uh, that's the cinema where yes touch and and the fact that they it would the commercial at the end of the segment would change every time which was always <laughs> the news were always funny mm-hmm. the art was great i mean the graphics were just top shelf i mean yeah. when i first saw it, it was like
2: this is like watching tv even when you you know you go in to pick the options and everything they could have you know really uh, gone generic and just had a you know a cursor or a pointer or something but they've got that pencil you know you can use yeah. to select things <laughs> on a, the, and clipboard. It's got the big clipboard yeah <laughs> I mean they really it's it's really nice to see that and uh, there was I'm sure there was nothing else available like that the you know my my ranking of, uh, of best retro basketball games pretty much begins and ends with techno NBA basketball
1: <laughs> Which I have not played. Um,
2: that was a it was a game for the Super Nintendo, but it was it was kind of the golden era of Tecmo releasing great sports games. Sure, um, you know Tecmo Super Bowl. Oh yeah, um, and uh, but this I've got to say this is a this is a great game. This doesn't play as fast as as Tecmo NBA Basketball. I think that's my one complaint is that it is a little bit slow.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a slower game. There's no doubt. It's not a it's not a Twitch game by any stretch of the imagination. But,
2: it is. It's very well done, and it, it's very realistic.
1: Did you Did you happen to try the other versions? No, I've no. actually tried both versions. Really? <laughs> In fact, I've extensively played the uh, Turbo Graphics. I've got a Turbo Graphics, and I've, of course, I've been emulating it for years. It's good. I mean, it's 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 pretty close uh, to the Amiga version. It plays, I think, a little quicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's. It's, it's as attractive as an overall package as the Amiga version. Of course, there's things you can't do uh, that you can on the Amiga, obviously. But uh, it's not bad. I don't know if it supports four players. Uh, I believe uh, Turbo Graphics had a four-player. Yeah, player there adapter. is a. It's called the Turbo Tap, I think. Yeah, yeah. and I, so it would be interesting to 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 uh, to see if it would support four. I don't have a physical copy of it, mm-hmm. unfortunately. I, I'd love to, but it's that's hard to find too for the Turbo Graphics. I've yeah. actually looked around the PC version I was stunned that there was one when I first heard about it years ago And I didn't have an Amiga and uh it's okay you know it's a lot like the other PC releases of Amiga stuff mm-hmm. they did their best right you know but uh it was okay but the you can't you can't beat the Amiga version i think the turbo graphics one thing it does have going towards multiple buttons Mm. And so you can actually, as I recall, you can switch players with, uh, that you're looking at with one button and shoot, or, or maybe shoot and pass. There, there two. As I recall, there are two buttons you use. Right.
2: Well, it, it makes sense that they'd utilize both of the buttons on the controller. For
1: Although, that. really, I never had any problem with one. Mm-hmm. I thought it played real well. This is another one. I would fire up my, I get my Wico out and, and and go to work. What did you think of the uh, tip off sequence? Oh, I thought it's great. It's that I've got to say
2: that's probably the best. The best, well, the best done tip-off sequence of any
1: basketball game. It's,
2: I mean, it's, it's functional. It's not. It's beautiful. Well, it's it's beautiful to look at. It's not very realistic of course, but just the way that, you know, you've got you and the, your opponent are fighting to tip it to your guy or the other guy. I mean, it's better than just having a big mass of players in the middle and everybody's jamming their button and then, you know, something happens.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, it's stuck to their CinemaWare's original vision of of uh, creating a, a TV like experience, you can certainly see why uh, you know ABC would license to them. That's the perfect. That's the perfect uh, people to license a sports game for. Mm-hmm. It's they could have. You know, it's funny. I, I I don't know if you've played the other TV sports games. Not to go into them too much, but this one is by far and away the best one. Is it? It's. I didn't like boxing, and I'm a big boxing fan, or I was back then. Um, I hockey was. Eh. The, the football was I just didn't like it at all I mean again the presentation was okay but the uh, the play selection the way it played it just I didn't didn't do it for me I And mean, this is the cream of the crop mm. of, of, the, of the TV sports game it's a
2: shame that they didn't take that, that wild world of sports license into something like a summer games you know or yeah. uh, you know a multi-event sports yeah. game
1: that would fit CinemaWare's MO too if you think about it because a lot of their games are based around mini games right you know so you've got i mean even like like like, defender of the the crown Crown, Mm -hmm. or wings or rocket ranger or you know all those games are based on like our three stooges perfect example Mm -hmm. one that's based that's mini game based yeah so it would have worked i think they could have probably pulled it off and lord knows they had the cinematics down uh the the crew that worked on their games was outstanding one thing i did learn from doing a little research because they did a lot of apparently i didn't know this but they did a lot of ports to the c64 (coughs) and they were talking about the, they liked porting from the Amiga to the C64 cuz they would take all those images they would create and they would just remove every other pixel. Oh. <laughs> and, that was, and somehow that would and That's how they moved it down. Okay. That's directly from the horse's mouth. Interesting. Right? The uh that's how they would port those those images down. The uh I bet the C64 versions probably look pretty good. i will have to look into what they look like. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I I want to I want to do some comparison there too. Well, um I will tell you that I lost <laughs> the game that I played. Um, so I have a feeling that uh, when we do play this against each other, you're going to destroy me. I'm going to try.
1: I <laughs> I, uh, I played probably 20 games in the past two weeks. Wow. And uh, I, this is something that's on my, it's on my computer all the time. I, I mean, at work. Mm-hmm. Home. I've always got it you know, set up. It's a comfort game for me to set down, which is funny because sports games, yeah, I like sports, don't get me wrong, but and if you'd say, hey, your cover game is basketball, I'd be like, pfft, come on. You know, it's not karate or something. No, it's basketball. But it this game, I think the pace is part of what I like. Because it's like slipping on an old shoe and you and you you walk down it's not manic. You've got time to survey the the scene and uh uh you know, choose who you're gonna pass to and be a little more uh cerebral about the game. Mm-hmm. Something else we haven't tapped we haven't touched on the like fact that the ability to change uh, defenses, you know, change uh you know the your positioning. Yeah. Yeah, and uh again, pretty far ahead of the curve. I mean, like you said, I hadn't thought about the comparisons that Larry Bird and uh Dr. Jago 101, but you know, this definitely the uh, the screen setup is the same. It's almost like they just modernized that setup, added the appropriate amount of players, and it it works. I mm-hmm. mean, that's an awesome setup. I mean, as Archaic as that game looks, it plays great still. I've played it in the past year, and it's it's a lot of fun, you know. So this one's, you know, multitudes of more fun, but it's still the system works, you know. Now, have you actually
2: played any other basketball games for the Amiga?
1: Yeah. Let me think for a moment, because I'm trying to think what basketball games are available for the Amiga. I don't think i'm sure the nba jam stuff was not around no <laughs> that's a good question but I honestly have, can you even think of another basketball game no um, i think i take that back it seems like magic johnson might have had a game
2: fast break that was his game on the consoles
1: i, I think i think or it might have been lakers versus celtics It mm-hmm. was one of those two mm-hmm it was that this. would have
2: put that. That would have been the right time period. It's
1: funny because I, I can vaguely remember the screenshot, but I remember my disc because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's in my head. I can picture the disc in my hand, uh, but I don't. Re- you know, this was the. Yeah, was I'm the sure one. if you
2: ask any you know any Amiga fan, you know, name the best basketball game for the Amiga, this would be the, the the one that they would pick.
1: Here's a question for you and for the listeners to ponder. Maybe someone out there knows something we don't. You had tv sports boxing you had tv sports basketball and american football and they had hockey right why well, no soccer they were very european centric soccer's the number one sport over there did they think they couldn't get their foot in the door with the uh, big soccer titles i don't know i'd be interested to know why they wouldn't do a soccer title it seemed like that'd be one of their bigger sellers
2: yeah and um now Cinemaware, they are they're an american company right
1: uh you know, I think they are. They were founded. I was reading an interview with the guy that founded them. They were founded by funding raised from Mormon Utah Mormon doctors and dentists. So I'm going to go on the assumption. Okay,
2: probably American. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I I don't know how comfortable. I can't think of too many American developers that were doing soccer games. Well,
1: you got to consider though that uh, they were selling the majority of their titles in Europe. Yeah. You know, so you would yeah. think maybe you'd import some on to uh, handle it and they had the perfect structure for a soccer game that could have used the same sort of setup that basketball had sure
2: absolutely you know? uh you know the sensible games have that same top down you know viewpoint um it would be interesting to know why they why they didn't tackle that because uh with the just you know it's amazing to me that they there weren't more companies that that thought, hey, you know, people like watching sports on TV. Why don't we take some of the things that are great about watching it on TV and combine it with the interactivity? It seems like a no-brainer, but they were really the only company to do stuff like that at this time.
1: You know, something else they did, I mean, you're right. You're 100% right. It makes you wonder why why no one else did it. But also, on top of the fact that you got the visuals, on top of the fact that the gameplay is very realistic, the stats were good and could be printed. So oh. you could actually print out the stats via the program. It could... You could print. You could print from the program. You could print out stats. You, you could have stats for the whole year. That's great. I you mean, know? I mean, I just about think about
2: that. when I, when I was in college, we used to do uh, you know Tecmo Super Bowl seasons and you know keep track of our stats and everything. And but there was no because it was a console game, there was no medium to do anything like that. And that would have been great, you know. Yeah,
1: I. Uh that's another thing i didn't know about was the ability to print stats that's awesome cool. something else i read that i thought was amusing i sort of knew this but sort of didn't um all the uh players and well if you play the game straight out of the box you've got made up names for all the for all the players right and they're sort of like they're sort of like the nba counterparts of the time like there's a guy called air jordash <laughs> for example it's one i always think of and um there's a couple other, but anyway, they, they would base players on employees, mm-hmm. and so a lot of the employee names are in the game, which I thought was cute. It's a good way to do it. Put yourself in the game. Give yourself stats, and yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's like that with football. Or any of the other ones, but with this one they actually put themselves in there. And of course, I like the fact that there's a Cinemaware team, and the fact that you can't screw with them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so they make, they made good and sure they will be represented. Now I think there are more people in the league than just the Cinemaware team on the unedited version. Like I said, it's been since I played it the unedited version. I can't remember all the names because mine have all been edited. But uh, but uh, the uh, the Cinemaware team you can't mess with, and they're tough. Like I said, who who do you usually pick when you play? Oh. I don't know.
2: I can't remember.
1: Yeah. I usually play New Jersey, <laughs> and they're well, not good. But and they certainly some teams are better than others. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tell. I wonder if big. they
2: uh, if they were looking at the um, the actual NBA landscape at that time.
1: I'd say they probably were because so I said, a lot he, of the big stars they had right. sort of generic names. Because I'm
2: thinking about you know the early '90s. You know, like Pistons. I guess were big.
1: I wonder if Detroit. Well, the Bulls. And, you yeah, know, Lakers, Celtics are always big. You know something else we didn't mention either is in the opening it's something else i love just tension just like we talked about last week with lemmings and the stuff on the title screen attention to detail when you start the game uh, when you pick your teams and the game starts the home team stadium comes up and the colors are all right because they've switched them over to whatever team you're playing as the mm-hmm. home team you know the cheerleaders have won the home team gear you know the, the color you know that seems sort of trivial but I mean, it helps get you into the game, you know, because you're, you know, feel like you're at your home stadium, you know. It's I always thought that was a neat aspect of it too, that they that they would go to, and also in the background at halftime, uh, or also at the beginning of the game when you're when you're seeing the uh, sports announcer, you can see the people in the background just over his shoulder on the court bouncing around and cheerleaders going around out there, you know, and people shooting baskets and stuff. I always thought that stuff was really just slick you mm-hmm. didn't have to do it mm-hmm. you know yeah
2: yeah it's really cool um so you know this week because it's a, a sports game we can't really have a, a score competition although like I said you will destroy me you later will, on you <laughs> will you will see the score competition in mere moments when I
1: put the boots to poor Boat. but
2: uh you know TV sports basketball it's a two thumbs up yeah, big from, time. from both of the amigos uh check it out um now let's move on to what we're going to talk about next week so uh, next week, I thought maybe we could do a little bit of uh, one of your favorite titles for the Amiga. Uh, it's a game where you're a ninja, and it's a game that the title is escaping me right now.
1: Wow, I love that one. <laughs> <laughs>
2: what is it? What is that ninja game that you we were talking there's, about? There's last a few
1: week? thousand ninja games.
2: No, this is the one that is like the big one. What's the big one?
1: Zool, Zool. that's right. The Ninja Ant.
2: Yeah, Zool the Ninja Ant. We'll do that next week. All right, that'll do it for this week. Make sure you tune into our YouTube channel to uh, watch our live stream. Watch your whooping. Yep. <laughs> so uh, we'll see you next week. Until next time, adios. adios. All right, welcome everybody to the uh, second Amigos podcast interview. Uh, today we are interviewing Sean Courtney. Uh, Sean is a podcaster himself. Uh, he does the Pie Factory podcast, and we'll hear a little bit more about that later on. But for right now, I'd just like to say welcome, Sean. Well, thank you, John. It's a pleasure to uh, i an honored to be part of this. Great. Um, well, let's dive right into it. Uh, what was your first exposure to the Amiga? Well, my first exposure to the Amiga,
0: one of my friends back in high school, was all about the Amiga. He was so sick of... Uh, using MS-DOS machines, you know, he needed something that multitask, so he preached on and on and on and on about Amiga, and I actually got a chance to see it in action uh, when we were seniors in high school, homecoming week. There was one night, uh, one of the activities, uh, one of the, one of the yeah, what am I trying to say, John? <laughs> One of the activity nights, he actually borrowed a, uh, a projection screen TV from the school and rigged up his Amiga and loaded up the Pinball Dreams demo and had Aww. people give it a shot and i was like oh yeah oh yeah this (laughs) this is for me
2: and now what year was this
0: this was 1991
2: okay okay so yeah i'm sure coming from the uh the pc world you know the ega color palette and then seeing Uh, something like pinball dreams i'm sure it was like night and day oh yeah uh, that's that that's awesome. coming from
0: a commodore 64 just for the oh. comparison there
2: <laughs> yeah there's uh there's a little bit of a i mean we're talking about you know the the c64 was released in 80 81 something like that somewhere around there yeah and so you know the amiga only came about 4 years later but i mean just talk about you know light years ahead in terms of, of graphical fidelity uh, processing power almost anything so uh it's i uh i never i'm a little bit younger than you and so i i always came across these systems a little bit later uh my first computer was an atari 1200 xl um that uh my dad bought in uh, 1986 or 1987 uh but of course at that time it was already an old machine so i've kind of been a retro gamer by default <laughs> sure, <laughs> from the yeah. from the beginning but uh you know I never had that moment uh, on computers of seeing that that thing For me, it was always consoles you know moving from the NES to the super Nintendo so it's it's pretty special that uh, you know you were able to uh, to be part of it right you know at the height you know 91 92 was kind of the height of the Amiga's powers as far as uh, you know capturing market share. the games were coming out like crazy and you didn't see that decline that you started to see in 93 in the corners to 94.
0: Yeah, so I learned when I actually got one in 93. Suddenly, <laughs> it's it, it's like I cursed the Amiga. As soon as I got one, my buddy was like, Amiga, who the hell wants one of those anymore? I was like, <laughs> he was one of these guys who actually, like, like once someone likes something he likes, he doesn't like it anymore. He loved Nirvana before anybody ever heard of it. But as soon as Smells Like Teen Spirit came out, he's like, Nirvana, ooh.
2: Right, For God's sakes, right.
0: even now, I just got my first software development job a couple of years ago. Then all of a sudden, he's like, "You know what? I want to get out of software development." It's like, dude, <laughs> it's
2: know? just not cool anymore. You know, it was yeah, great like, when, when I nobody I was into it, it it's but not cool. <laughs> right.
0: That's, I think that's the rule. <laughs> but yes, I got my Amiga. I got a, uh, my first Amiga was a, an Amiga 600. I got in 1993. And that's when suddenly stores decided they didn't want to carry Amiga stuff anymore. I had to mail order everything.
2: Oh, now let's talk a little bit about that Amiga. It's the 600. What what made you purchase the 600 over the other models? Um, it's quite simply because it was the cheapest. Mm-hmm. Was and, it released kind of um you know was it kind of the successor to you know the 500, which was kind of the lower end Amiga of the the original run? Is that kind of how the 600 was was pitched?
0: Yeah, I th- yeah I think it was supposed to be kind of a newer uh, repackaging of the five hundred plus because it came oh, with uh, okay. Kickstart two or two point oh five. Mine came with, and uh, um, I think what they were trying to do is put out just one more Amiga five hundred, but make it look more like one of the newer twelve hundred
2: models yeah, or something. Yeah. Uh, how much did that that go for back then?
0: Um, I personally paid two ninety nine for it two ninety nine ninety nine. It was just Bare bones, it was just the computer itself with a megabyte of RAM, uh, no hard drive. Uh, it came with a software package that included um, this little chintzy uh, word processor, uh, Microtext, and this uh, program that I never ever ever used called Graphics Workshop, and I have no idea what that thing looks like. That, <laughs> I don't think anybody's even even heard of it, and it came with uh, Robocop 3, um, Myth. And and this is crazy. I don't know what game what the third game was because the outer packaging that the Amiga came in said it was Beast 3. The label <laughs> on the disk said it was Shadow of the Beast. When I loaded up the game, the title screen said Shadow of the Beast 3. So, I don't wow. know what I had. <laughs>
2: you know at that price point at 299 they were probably marketing trying to market that at least in part with some of the contemporary consoles at the time you know the Genesis and the Super Nintendo did you yeah. get that feeling from the advertising
0: um I don't really I, I don't really know i I wasn't quite sure because um, all I know is I wanted an amiga and that mm-hmm. one I could probably afford I was in college you know I was only working part-time so you know it's what my my money at the time would allow me to have. And um, I seem to remember on, on, on all the BBSs, remember those? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, people were like, "What's okay, the 1200 looks nice, the 4000 looks really cool, but what's the 600 thing? Does Amiga really need another game machine? Mm-hmm. So that's I, 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 didn't, I didn't really know what to make of it, whether it was a game machine, a computer, whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, another friend of mine actually recommended it to me. He's like, well, you know, a 600 would probably be best for you.
2: Now were you purchasing it for mostly as a game machine?
0: I just wanted a I just wanted a better computer. I didn't care whether it was games or what. Okay. I mean, I grew up with an Atari 2600 and I still play those games to this day. So I guess I did want I did want it for games, but I also I was also um a computer science student at the time. So, you know, I needed something that was better than my Commodore 64.
2: Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, did you run into, um, you know, as far as your comp size stuff, uh, were there any, you know, what was was the immediate kind of looked down upon, you know, by your professors when you were doing projects for class and stuff like that, I mean, as far as programming goes?
0: Not really. I mean, they had heard of it. They just didn't know much of it. Mm-hmm. All they knew was that it ran on the Motorola 68000 series of processors, you know, because obviously it was all Windows where, where I was. And yeah. uh, if you were actually... Now that I think about, it, I did change uh, I did change majors to journalism, and that's what my my uh, bachelor's is actually in. And in our the journalism department at our school, all Amiga.
2: Sure, right. If you weren't if you weren't running Max, you were running Amigas. I'm sure in '91, '92. Yeah, the the that...
0: one of the classrooms was full of Amiga 500s. Uh, I think the one of the professors in the journalism department had a 3000 in her office. Wow. The TV station had a 2000 with a toaster in it.
2: That's In awesome. fact,
0: they even when I was a senior, they actually offered a uh, a single semester two credit course on how to use the video toaster. I took that just so I could uh, get college credit for playing with an Amiga.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I was a music ed major and I would have taken that class. Why do you need oh, that? Yeah. It's right, cool. Why not, <laughs> you know? Um so uh, you were talking about you know the software that the 600 came with. Did it come with any other accessories? I mean, I know that the, the keyboard was built in, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, the
0: Amiga 600, except for the monitor, of course, which I used a TV set at first, mm-hmm. uh, that was it was an all-in-one, really. The floppy drive was built in. It, I mean, it's basically like a, a much smaller 500, a much smaller, in a, basically a 1200 without the AGA graphics and the uh, uh,
2: numeric keypad. I see, I see. Um, you were talking about BBSs. How were you connecting to the BBSs with your uh, with your Amiga?
0: Oh, yeah, well, with a modem, of course. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, I, and the crazy thing is I didn't have a hard drive for a few months, so I don't remember how exactly I managed to swap disks back and forth to get the terminal program loaded. But uh, I, I know there was a really good terminal program, darned if I remember, I know that there were three Amiga BBSs in my town, and they were all running on CNET. That was the Amiga BBS software uh, of the day. Okay. So, um, yeah, I guess I just fired up a modem and dialed in, you know? Yeah, That was yeah. also how I first got exposed to the Internet, because one of the Amiga boards had a uh, had a uh, Internet and Usenet feed. So, yeah. Um, I've been using the internet since literally 1992 when I still had my Commodore 64.
2: Yeah. You were quite the early adopter. Yeah. Um, I'm sure your friend hated that, that you were on the internet before (laughs) he was. (laughs) Um, so, uh, what was the? I mean, you know, you talked about the the uh, you know in your college what the Amiga, you know, the Amiga Lab and everything like that. But do you do you think that the Amiga? What was the Amiga scene like in the in the town where you were living? You know, with your friends, did you have a lot of friends that had Amigas? Or
0: I had a I had a decent handful, and I, I knew them all from uh, the BBSs, of course. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, I. And I was bumping into people too. I was like, Oh yeah, I got an Amiga too. Do you know of anybody anybody I can hook up with? I was like, Yeah, follow me. You know? <laughs> so, so you I never really felt like
2: you never really felt like you were on an island. You always there were people around.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. At least back when I first got the six hundred for the first two or three years,
2: at least. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, how about now? To what extent do you still use the Amiga? I don't. Right. I knew the answer to the question head, so anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what what happened?
0: Well, what happened? I stayed in the Amiga scene for 13 years, from 1993 all the way to 2006. I had a 600. Um, I eventually got a 4,000, which I later had rehoused in a tower. Um, and in 2003 or 2004, I don't remember, that's when the new Amiga 1 machines sure. came out, and I got the micro Amiga 1C, as they call
2: it. It's a wow. Tiny, so were,
0: tiny motherboard. Six you were motherboard.
2: spinning the big bucks then, right? Those things weren't cheap.
0: Yeah. Amiga Amiga is still not cheap are you no, that's right? very true <laughs> and, uh, I mean, there were, and I mean and I went back to school I was I went to the junior college taking some uh, computer courses just you know to make myself a little bit more marketable, make better money and stuff and so I'm taking programming classes I'm realizing I can't do any of this stuff on my Amiga. I need to get a PC or something. And you know, I just decided, you know what? I'm going to buy a used PC so I can actually do this. I got it used so that way none of my money would go to Microsoft. Yeah. <laughs> to this day, not a single cent I've ever of my money is ever going to Microsoft.
2: That's right. But keep, I, keep fighting the good fight. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think I think what you know, this is getting a little personal. But I think what really kind of did it for me was uh, in uh, in 2006, right when I left the Amiga scene, it was basically because you know. Uh, my wife and I were moving four states across the country, and she wasn't working at the time. She was taking some time off to finish her master's. Money was kind of tight. I was work I was working two jobs. She was working part time, any side job she could get. And uh, they messed up her payroll once, and we wouldn't have had enough money to make rent. So I was mm-hmm. like, okay, that's enough. I'm putting this thing on eBay. And I got a ton of money for that Amiga, so I got a lot more than rent. Yeah. So that was it. And when we got back on our feet, you know, I I figured, you know what? I gotta get a I gotta get an Amiga One again. Problem was, there was nothing available. Hmm. The the uh, the Amiga Amiga One. The purpose of that was to run the new modern Amiga operating system OS four. And there weren't any boards being manufactured at the time that. uh, that came out so i was like okay i need to get something so i got my first mac and i haven't looked back i love i love the mac i loved it from the first time i used it and of course right after i got my macbook what happened suddenly there were like three or four new amiga one or not amiga one but os4 compatible boards being manufactured i was like you (laughs)
2: Well, to tell you the truth, you know, from a productivity standpoint and from the use of a modern, you know, any kind of modern software, I think you made the right choice going with the Mac as far as carrying you forward, but it would be cool to have one of those new boards for sure.
0: Oh, yeah. In fact, even a friend of mine was saying, dude, get a Mac. It's just like the Amiga, you know? Mm
2: -hmm. He
0: he, He runs an art gallery, and so he, of course, would know what's best for graphics and things.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know I I was a Mac user for a long time. I had a couple stints working at uh, Apple Retail, doing training and stuff like that. So uh, I love the Mac too, um, and uh, I think that it really kind of became the logical extension from a lot of people uh, who were yeah. leaving the Amiga platform, you know, by choice or by you know uh, because they had to. Um, sure. Do you got Do you have a favorite game for the Amiga? oh god that's
0: like asking what's your favorite beatles song um, <laughs> yeah let me uh yeah i
2: i had to you think. can name more than one too
0: yeah um i heard you guys mention the uh, mention edgar vigdahl mm-hmm. so his his two big games deluxe pac-man and deluxe you ready for a bombshell galaga
2: galaga is I the just official <laughs> found
0: out is the official <laughs> pronunciation all right um, so it's
2: the I... <clears throat> the emphasis is on the second syllable second syllable yep. okay <laughs>
0: And, uh, and and of course, I wrote to you guys about Warblade, which is Deluxe Galaga. Really, <laughs>
2: um,
0: I love those. I played the heck out of those. Um, uh, my brother, right around the time I had my Amiga 600, he was a uh, he. He got a Sega Genesis, and so I was digging a lot of the games on there. So I was looking for the same games on the Amiga, and turns out that they had one of my favorite. In fact, my all-time favorite Genesis game, Desert Strike.
2: Oh, they! So I, I played so, many hours of Desert Strike. That's a great game. I was game. so
0: excited by that game. The only thing I didn't like was that the Genesis allowed you to select uh, levels of inertia on your helicopter, but the Amiga didn't. But uh, uh, And I got really excited because one of the Amiga magazines, I don't remember if it was Amiga World or one of the other ones, reviewed Desert Strike, and they said, next up from Electronic Arts on the Amiga, NHL Hockey. And I was like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that Desert Strike was Electronic Arts' last game for the Amiga.
2: Oh, and that was probably, I, I think that was, what, 92, Desert Strike, about around Yeah,
0: there. yeah, they're about, they're 92, I mean, I I think it came out on the Amiga right at the beginning of 94. Okay. And, uh, see, of course, I loved the uh, Pinball Dreams, Pinball Fantasies games. I tried Slam Tilt, but for some reason I could never get it working, I don't know, and that's that's the thing about Amiga that I, you know, I'm, listen, I'm listening to your podcast and I'm re- reflecting back on my days, it's like, man, I love the Amiga, but in retrospect it was a pain in the butt to use one of those things because you had to downgrade it to use certain programs uh or maybe your kickstart rom was like 0. 0.0001 versions off
2: or so oh, wow <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know but uh, i love those games um lemmings of course
2: mm-hmm.
0: so naturally i loved your last episode hearing you talk about lemmings by the way a little bit of trivia i'm surprised i didn't hear mentioned um I remember you and uh, you and Aaron were talking about uh, whether Worms came out la- came out second and or Lemmings came out second or whatever, and you correctly said Worms was after Lemmings. Mm-hmm. And what I love about I never I never had the pleasure to play Worms, unfortunately, but I know that there was a sequel to Worms called Oh yes, more Worms. Really? Take,
2: oh no, more Lemmings. I have never heard that before. That's very interesting. Yeah. Well, when we do our inevitable uh, Worms uh, podcast, actually, you know, did Worms come? Worms might have, Worms might have not made an appearance on the Amiga.
0: Yeah, it actually did.
2: Did it? Okay, because it, it, I, I knew that it, it was probably real close to coming out at the same time that Amiga ceased <laughs> to be. So, yeah,
0: uh, it one of the later titles. Um, but yeah, I, I love. I would have loved to have tried that. I just might have to track it down for something else, either emulated or what. Um,
2: well, I can course, tell you. you know, a great there's a great version on Steam, and actually I think I got it on like one of the Humble Bundle stores or something like that. Uh, or sales, uh, you get Worms uh, Worms Revolution is is a, is probably the best contemporary if you want to play it on a modern system. I would I would recommend that version. Hmm.
0: I'll keep that in mind. And, uh, of course, I'm, you know, I told you I grew up with an Atari 2600, never grew out of it. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, I'm, a, I'm an old school gamer from way back, so I would always look for games that were either complete emulations of what I played before or remakes or whatever. So, you know, I'd look for all the Pac-Man games, all the public domain ones, you know. Uh, I don't know if you remember Mega Ball, but...
2: I, I, never, I never played Mega Ball.
0: Really good Breakout clone. Okay. T- tons of different Tetris. I, I basically, I looked for all that stuff.
2: You know, we're Someone going to be...
0: actually did a Donkey Kong for Amiga that I think was basically a dead-on, I think they must have recompiled the arcade game for the Amiga, because was, I was like, whoa! Huh. We're,
2: we're going to th- be doing a, uh, a series, you know, we're going to start this, uh, as soon as we finish up our pinball series, we're going to do, it's going to be called Attack of the Clones, and uh, we're going to be covering a lot of the, the, the clones for the Amiga, you know, so this is great material for me to remember uh, for that episode. Um, do you have any other, are there any other, you said Mega Ball, uh, there's a Donkey Kong clone. Were there any other arcade clones that you remember playing for the Amiga?
0: Oh, off the top of my head, um, I can't really think of any more because I, I know that eventually my I got a, an Amiga powerful enough to run the MAME emulator, so I would just play arcade games on it. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's 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 definitely great information. How about non-game applications? Uh, you, yes. What were some of the ones you remember using a lot?
0: All right. First and foremost, the best uh, classic Amiga program ever made: Directory Opus Magellan.
2: Explain that to me.
0: All right. You remember Directory Opus? No. Okay. Well, Directory Opus. This there was a, there was a. An older program called Directory Opus, which, which you open it up, it gave you two windows side by side, and each window had a directory display, and there was a series of buttons right underneath that, those two windows, where if you highlighted one, you highlight one file, you click copy, it copies to the directory on the right, or there's move button, you can highlight, so it's, it's, it was just the most amazing file utility, you could just highlight a file, click on a button, it'll do whatever it says, like delete the file. Or if it's a graphics file, you could click on View, and it'll view it. And you could program your own buttons. Uh, when I had my Amiga 1, my Micro Amiga 1, I actually programmed a button that said Food Fight. And when you click it, it ran Atari an Atari 7800 emulator that played Food Fight.
2: Wow. So, so this is like a, uh, it's it's kind of like, you know, what Finder is now when you look at the different modes, like Preview mode and things like that. But it's way better know, than Finder. Okay. Okay. Well,
0: b- My whole thing, but that's the one thing I don't like about Mac is that I have not found a Directory Opus equivalent. I actually tried programming one in Java once, but I kind of gave up on it because Java is a really bizarre language to develop in. <laughs> uh, but it's going back to what I was saying before, Directory Opus Magellan, what they did was they took Directory Opus and basically. Put it on crack, if you will. Uh-huh. It would li- it it was literally a workbench replacement. Like it would take over all the workbench features. You double click anywhere on the uh, workbench desktop, and you would suddenly get a window with buttons that appeared. And oh you could wow! It was an amazing utility. Uh, yeah, look that thing up. It was it was just an amazing. And what the bad thing about Directory Opus Magellan as a workbench replacement? It did not work with the Amiga One. It doesn't work with Amiga Operating System Four. Because it does what's called hardware banging, which means it has special code that directly addresses, like, the Paula chip, the Denise chip. And if it's not present on your system, it's not going to work. Mm. But, uh, so yeah, Directory Opus, Directory Opus Magellan are two of my favorites. Um, I'm an amateur musician myself, so I did. So I used Octomed for MIDI sequencing. Um, later on, there was a program called Audio Evolution. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that one. But that came out probably in the late 90s, early 2000s. It's a multi-track recording program. It was a really good one. Um, I loved Yam for email. To this day, it's the best email program I've ever used. Um, Eyebrows, of course, was my favorite web browser. And what I love about Eyebrows is that because it's Amiga and it's way behind the rest of the web world, um, it doesn't know how to handle certain things. Like, um, Eyebrows didn't know how to handle streaming real audio. So if there was, remember,
2: real audio. Oh, this is some of the worst times in my life is dealing with real <laughs> audio.
0: <laughs> yeah, And there are people who would put up real audio streams because they didn't want people downloading. They're like, if yeah. you want to hear this, you're going to hear it live. Well, because Amiga browsers don't know how to handle it, it would freak out and say, couldn't open up this address location. And it would give you the actual URL that had the real audio stored so I could actually download real audio and wow. I still have a couple of those files.
2: Well that that worked out well for you. That's yeah, awesome.
0: And, yeah, and it's and the cool thing about Amiga really is it's a hacker's dream. You know, especially in that regard. Because Amiga doesn't know how to handle so many things. You can actually it can actually expose things that's that are they're not meant to be exposed. You can see what kind of you know interesting things you could do with it.
2: Hmm. Yeah, that, I think a lot of people miss that that side of computing. You know, with modern operating systems that are so closed, you know, and so locked off and sandboxed and everything, uh, that that freedom that you, if you wanted to, you know, tinker and open up the hood, you know, on platforms like the Amiga, they, they, that avenue was open to you. Oh yeah, good times. Well. Um, I wanted to leave a couple minutes for you to uh, kind of promote your your podcast, the oh, Pie Factory you. Podcast. So uh, tell tell our listeners uh, all about the Pie Factory Podcast, what you guys are doing over there.
0: All right. Well, Pie Factory Podcast came about when uh, there it's Pie Factory Podcast. We talk about classic arcade video games. Like we just finished up a, um, an episode where we're we're talking about Atari's Space Duel and uh, Namco's Pac Man, and what we do is at the end of every episode we talk about a certain theme that we've identified with those two video games. Uh, it was like one one uh, episode we had, uh, we talked about, um, let's see, what, oh, what the heck did we talk about? Uh, like, like our first episode, we talked about Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong 3, and then at the end we said, well, the theme here was uh, Donkey Kong games in which Donkey Kong was the enemy. Mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. uh, opposed to Donkey Kong Jr. And we also do obscure themes like Frogger and Asteroids, for for instance. Like, those were games that I first played at Hunk's Pancake House in Bradley, Illinois.
2: <laughs> ah, so it may not be immediately apparent to the listener uh, what the connection not, sometimes is. Sometimes it's
0: sometimes it is. So that's what we do, and we have a lot of fun with that. Um, and uh, basically, we kind of approach these games we talk about from the eyes of a ho- of home gamers, which we are. You know, we we both grew up playing Atari games, and we both still do. Actually, Jim and I both
2: do. So, Well, that's awesome. And now, are you an arcade machine collector yourself? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, have I, small,
0: I have a small apartment, and uh, I don't have room, and I really don't want to spend the money on
2: it. I understand. I I was just wondering, though, because, you know, Rob O'Hare was my last interviewee, and uh, he's, uh, you know, he wrote a whole book about collecting arcade machines called Invading Spaces. Um, Both Aaron and I are also arcade machine owners. Uh, I have a couple machines and a pinball machine, and Aaron's got a whole basement full of machines, so I thought it was going to be a a growing theme with with, with our whole little Amiga circle, that this would be an alternative thing, but it's cool that you're also into uh into retro arcade uh, games if not the machines themselves
0: yeah and i think another reason is because here in the chicago area we have a lot of places we can go to play these games so we don't really even need to have them in
2: our homes that's very true in fact i will be going to chicago uh december 18th or 16th through 19th i'm going to be there for the uh um, Midwest International Band and Orchestra Clinic, and I plan on hitting up the, uh, I think it's called the Galloping Ghost. Is that, yes, uh,
0: we just recorded there a couple of weeks ago.
2: Yeah, so that, I'm... That's
0: an awesome place. Um underground retrocade of course it's my personal favorite place uh, other people prefer galloping Ghosts. i think they're both
2: equally awesome so i'm going to be hitting up both of those places for uh, i hope i hope at least i'm not very familiar with chicago but i'm hoping that i can get from where i'm staying to there uh without without too much trouble sure well sean thanks very much for uh for coming out and sharing your experiences with the amiga um Everyone out there who's listening, if you would like to be interviewed for the Amigos podcast, uh, just shoot me an email at amigos at amigospodcast.com. So I guess my check cleared. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Thanks again for that that large donation. Um, But, uh, you know, uh, it's been great. And, uh, Sean, if there's ever anything that uh, any game that you want us to review or anything like that, just uh, just let me know and, and we'll do it. Awesome. All right. We'll see you later, Sean. Thanks for having me.